Man, it's good to see everybody's faces on a Friday evening. That's unusual, right? Uh, man, thank you for, so much for coming and joining us on this Good Friday. Um, the Good Friday has been a, a celebration of the church for a couple of thousand years, and it's our opportunity to take a focused look and see the cross and see it in its beauty. And so that's what we're going to do today uh, as we look in the scriptures. Have you ever been rejected in your life by someone that you love? Like, have you ever in your life been rejected by someone that you love? Growing up, I felt rejected by someone I love. It's my dad. Um, I found out at an early age that he was uh, addicted to drugs. And so when he would leave our home and choose that over our family or over me, I felt just a deep sense of rejection. Um, and that just continued on because I would have games and other school activities and rejection after rejection after rejection would be felt. And so my response to that rejection from him disconnecting himself from our family uh, for a disconnected situation, my response was to actually reject others. My, my response was to not have compassion on my father and his issues but to take that rejection and turn it on its head and say, you know what, I'm going to be about me, and I'm going to also reject others as well. And so my rejection to my father's apparent rejection was not the best way to handle that rejection. But what if everyone in your life rejected you? How would you respond then? Like, what would your response be if everyone around you turned their back on you? How would you respond? I think, I think it, would, it would probably be in much the same way. And so what we're going to look at in our text tonight is actually how Jesus responded where most everybody around him rejected him. And we're going to see his response, and I think it was different than the way I responded, and I, I would probably think that it's going to be different than the way you would have responded. And so I want to invite you this evening to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, uh, where we get to look at our Lord. At this point, Jesus' life has been, he's been in his life, he has been now placed into custody. His, his ministry is now over. He's placed into custody in, under the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire took him in, they asked, him, asked the Jews whether or not they would take Barabbas, a ruthless criminal, or Jesus. And they said, give us Barabbas. And Barabbas, being the ruthless criminal, was given freedom, and then Jesus was given imprisonment. And so Jesus exchanged his life for a criminal. And then, from then, he was sent off to be scourged. And when he was sent off to be scorched, that means he was beat with a whip that was full of bones and metal, and it would have disfigured him beyond recognition. It would have caused him a deep and utter pain that any of us probably would not have lived through. And after this beating, where Jesus, Jesus uh, was beaten, he was given to some soldiers, as we read in our passage, and placed in a room with what they call the battalion. And that's where we pick it up tonight in verse 27. Uh, and my first point this evening is Jesus was rejected by Gentiles. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a, a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, 
and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. So these soldiers were given the task to take Jesus, this man who claimed to be king, and crucify him. And so for them, it was just another walk in the park, another day on the job. And what they decided to do is not to take their job to the point of where they needed to go, but they actually upped the game and decided to take it beyond the call of duty. And the way they did that is is they took our Lord and they put a robe on him, just like a king would. They they wanted to put a robe to mock him and say, hey, you're royalty, so let's put a a, a scarlet robe on you. And then they they took a crown and they, they put it on his head. Of course, this crown had thorns on it, but it was to resemble the crown that Caesar wore. And they did this to make Jesus a joke. And so in the midst of this, they would mock him, they would hit him, and they would spit on him. The only power these men recognized was brute force and a sword. They didn't recognize the power of loving sacrifice. And so to give you an understanding of of what true power looks like, let me show you real quick. Look with me on the screen, Colossians 1.17. It says, And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What this verse is saying is not only was Jesus there from the beginning before all life existed, but it also says that he's the very person that holds all of matter together. Apart from him, matter would just scatter. Like he literally holds it together with his might. And if he didn't do it, the very beings and structures of matter would just drift into pieces, into fragments, into space. And so picture this. While the soldiers, with their human hands, slapped Jesus in the face, and they conjured up their saliva to spit in his face, Jesus is holding their hand together, the very cells of their hand and their bodies, and their saliva as they strike him on his face and spit on him. He was holding their very substance together while they would beat him and slap him and spit on him. Can you imagine the self-control that it would take not to just speak a word and decimate these dudes? That's some power. He was rejected by them, and yet he accepted their beating. Isn't that a beautiful picture of his grace? Isn't that such a beautiful picture of his grace that even though in the, when we disobey him, he still gives us grace and still doesn't decimate us, but instead he's patient with us, he's loving, he's kind, he's gentle with us as he sustains us in his love. There isn't another kind of love like this in the entire world. You can't imagine it. He would completely just, he, he, he would be in complete justification to go, and these guys be gone. But instead, he endured. He endured their pain. And and let's look a little bit further into how Jesus responded to their rejection in verse 32. It says, And they went out. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of skulls, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. 
And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. So it says that he wouldn't drink the wine with gall in it. Let me explain to you what gall is. Gall is pain medication. So he's going through the most excruciating pain possible. He's being slapped in the face. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to take the pain medication. That's not normal. I don't know about you, but in a situation like that, I'm running toward trying to medicate, trying to get away from my pain, but yet Jesus stands there and takes it. He didn't fight the abuse. He leaned into the pain, into the rejection from the very people he came to love. And so our passage, as he continues on with this excruciation, it just kind of brushes over the crucifixion to some extent. In verse 35 through 37, it it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them and cast lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him. And the reason why it's that way is because the readers of Matthew would have been very aware of what took place with the crucifixion. They've witnessed this themselves. And so I want to just take a moment to explain to you what condition our Lord is in right now. So if he was scourged, when he was scourged, what would have taken place is that his flesh not only would have been broken, but his muscles would have been torn from the bone. He, he would have been bleeding so profusely that there's definitely some nerve damage going on. And, and as he's walking along, there is definitely kidney failure going about, and his bones most likely are protruding out of his flesh. And then he's forced to carry a wooden post that probably weighed around 110 pounds. And he's supposed to carry it for 850 yards, so eight and a half football fields. Thankfully, they found someone to help him carry it, right? Then they would have laid him down on the post when they got to Golgotha. They would have taken his arms and they would have spread it wide. And they would have taken nails, and I'm not talking your home goods nails, I'm talking thick tent posts, and they would have driven it down into his wrists, into the posts. And then they would have done the same thing on the other posts. And while he lay there, they would have lifted up the post and put it in the ground. And then would they take his feet and they place it one over the other and they drive a stake through that as well. And so in the midst of this misery, That's the position that he's in. He endured a physical pain and rejection from the people. And then get this. In that moment, as they did it, this is what Jesus pleaded for them in Luke 23, 34. It says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In our text, we see a man dying. Jesus, he was not only the king of the Jews, but he was actually the king of all of the universe, the creator of all things. And there's such a deep contradiction that I see here. I don't know if you see it. There's a deep contradiction in the way that he deserved to be treated versus the way he's being treated right here, right now. He deserved to be worshipped by both heaven and earth, and yet they hung his naked, beating body as he labored for his breath over and over and over again. In agony, he just sat there and took it. So my first point is that the Gentiles rejected him physically. My second one is that Jesus was rejected by the Jews. We'll pick it up in verse 38. Here's what it says. Then the two robbers were crucified with him. One passed by, and those who passed by, 
derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reveled him in the same way. So the people that passed by Jesus at this moment were Jews. They were God's chosen people set apart for God. And they passed by Jesus and mocked him. And they even berated him in the midst of his greatest torment. Can you imagine? You're in the lowest state of your entire life, and the very people that you would call your people are mocking you. They're kicking you while you're down. And they're speaking from the heart of the devil. So, so the verse, verse 40 is the same verbiage that Satan used when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4.3. Here's what it says. It says, if you are the son of God, come down. Essentially provide for yourself or save yourself. What they didn't know is that the very reason that he was up on the cross was to save them. If Jesus saves himself, they don't get salvation. You see, the Gentiles were strangers to Jesus, but the Jews were his family. These were his people. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He was mostly rejected by them because they were expecting someone else. When they thought about the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, the religious leaders expected someone else. So in verse 42, when they they scoffed at the idea that Jesus was the king, they assumed that their Messiah was going to come in differently. They wanted a king to come in with a sword and start an army and overthrow Caesar and the Roman Empire. But instead, what they got was a poor carpenter who would sacrifice his own life. They wanted an earthly king to build an empire, but instead they got a dying king. They thought he was going to come in and take lives by fight and by force, but instead he allowed others to take his life in their place. They thought they would experience freedom by the sword, but instead he allowed them to experience freedom through his death. What an emotional blow, wouldn't it be? If, if your family, if the very people whom you love would turn their back on you in your lowest of places, rejecting him, mocking him, and trying to use his words against him, it, it would have been devastating, no question about it. And they were so caught up in, in their Bibles that they were reading it, trying to see how they should conduct themselves and see how their life should turn out if they were to read their Bibles, that they were missing the fact that the Bible talks about this very event, how God wanted to accomplish his salvation for them. And here's what it says. Read with me, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. It should be on the screen. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that is one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we're healed. Their own book explained it. 
It showed them exactly this situation and they completely missed it. They had their own ideas in their head of what God would be like. And I'm blown away at the audacity of what they say in verse 42. It says, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. For the sake of eternal salvation, I praise God he didn't come down. I praise God that Jesus was so faithful that even in the midst of the agony and unspeakable, excruciating pain, he didn't come down. He's practicing the very things that he preached in Matthew 16. Here's what he says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. I said it earlier, if Jesus did what they said, they wouldn't have salvation. If he saved himself, saved his own life, they don't have the opportunity to be saved. See, like that applies to us. This right here applies to us right here, right now. It is beyond me and inconceivable that we could sit here and look at the cross and, and the suffering of Jesus on our behalf and turn around and walk out the door and live a life of self-promotion. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. When they're deriding Jesus as he's on the cross, they're saying that theirs is the victory because our Lord's on the cross. You see, he claimed to be God, but look at him now. Look at me and my works. Look what I've accomplished. May it never be about us. Our salvation comes through the Son of God, not our own good deeds, not our own works. For us, as Austin just said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no boasting. It didn't make any sense. This story that God would send his son to die for us doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the Jews. It didn't make sense to their culture. And may I be honest, it doesn't make sense to us now. I have a son, Uriah. I have a son, Trey. If I'm God, I'm not sending him in there for people who would spit on my sons, for guys that would beat my sons, for guys who would torture my kid. If I'm God, I'm not doing that. Praise God that it was his good pleasure to allow his son to die for us in that way. So my second point is that Jesus was rejected by Jews because they wanted worldly salvation. And my third point is this. Jesus was rejected by God. We'll pick it up in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went in the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion, which is the guard, and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. So the previous two rejections that we saw 
were atrocious. They were awful. They were horrible, but they don't compare to this rejection here. You see, City Light, God rejected Jesus so we can be accepted by God. Up until this point, everything has focused on the physical rejections of Jesus. But in this verse, Jesus cries out the famous phrase of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. And it doesn't express the, the physical or the emotional pain. But what this is expressing is his spiritual agony that he's experienced at this moment. He was experiencing the torment of receiving the sin of man and the rejection of God in the midst of it. For the first time in Jesus' earthly life, when he spoke out to God, he couldn't hear a response. When he looked to God the Father, there was no response. He wasn't there. He, he turned his back on him. He no longer heard from him. The communion that he had for all of his life is gone. So what does all that mean? First, it means that Jesus became a sinner. He became sin for us. Galatians 3.13 says it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Jesus lived his whole life as an innocent man and did not sin in the slightest. And yet, he took the guilty plea right here. He took the plea of, I'll take it. I'm guilty for us. Like he, he bore our sin. He bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders, even though he had never committed a sin himself. God cannot be in the presence of sin. That's why this is taking place. God is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. So when the Son of God bore the sins of man, the apple of his eye, the love of his life, the, the, the community of God is broken in a moment between God the Son and God the Father because God the Father can't be with sin. And so for all of eternity, they had community and all of a sudden it's broken because he loved us that deeply. For the first time, you see the community of God be broken. For his beloved son became the adulterer. He became the addicted. He became the murderer, the orphan. He became the sinner. And here's why. Look at me. He did it for you. He did it for me. Our sinful brokenness, the reason why Jesus had to endure this is because he did it for you and me. We deserve the punishment of the cross. We deserve the agony of being beat and mocked and the pain and the anguish of the cross. We deserve the rejection of the Gentile, the Jew. We deserve the rejection of God because our sin has earned God's rejection. And yet Jesus chose to experience that rejection and that death so we don't have to. That's good news. Is it not? We rejected God. God was rejected by God so that the rejectors of God could be accepted by God. Our very nature, our inmost being is rebellion against the holy God. We do wrong things and we do right things for the wrong reasons. No one has to teach us how to do that. That's up in the very fabric of our being. And here's what Romans 6.23 says about that. The wages of sin, the wages for our sin, the, the penalty that we earn for our sin is death. You see that? We, we deserve eternal wrath of God forever. 
But then the good news, as Romans 6.23 goes on to say, the free gift of God, though as we just saw is very expensive to him, his free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see it? It's a free gift. We, we can't earn it. You can't die on the cross for your sins. You can't be rejected by God for your sins. You can't earn it. Only Jesus could have accomplished this for us. And it was given to you and me for free. Let me show you something. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. What it's saying in this last cry, with this last voice, Jesus yielded up his life. Jesus, after choosing to endure mocking, beaten, having his flesh disfigured, having his very family members like turn their backs on him, and, and not only that, but mock him, he chose to give his life in that moment. He gave his life up. There's never been a death in the world more impactful, and that day is when the impact started. Let me show you. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth shaken, and, and, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And the coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went in the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. This is very significant. When it starts out and says that the curtain was torn, that's a big deal. So if you have been with us at all, in, in chapter 2 of, of, of uh, the book of John, we talked about this. It's chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. When Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple, if you remember, he turns over tables and pushes people out. But the thing that we talked about was the place called the Holies of Holies. It was just that. It was, it was a holy place in the innermost part of the sanctuary. It was so holy that a human being in their sin could never walk in there. There was only one person allowed to go in once a year, and that was the high priest. He did it on that one day called the Day of Atonement or the Day of Payment. Only he could get there. And what he would do in the holies of holies is he would offer up a blood sacrifice for the people of Israel. Listen to this. Jesus is the truest and the final blood sacrifice for the sins of God's people. You know, when the curtain was torn, what happens is no longer is sinful man separated from the presence of God. We are actually allowed into his presence by the blood of Jesus. The one sacrifice. If we trust in him for salvation, saying that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, we can enter in the holies of holies. We can enter into the presence of God. That's why the curtain was torn. The curtain was torn to allow you and me, Gentile people, to enter into the presence of God. What a beautiful mercy that we have been offered 2,000 years ago. Like the Gentiles, we in ourselves have physically rejected Jesus. Like the Jews, we have chosen a salvation that is worldly. And instead of God rejecting us for rejecting his son, he rejected his son and accepted us and has offered us life. This is the hope of the gospel. 
Jesus exchanges his perfect life for yours and mine. And the only way you receive that is by, first of all, knowing that the reason why God did this very thing is because he loves you so deeply. But then acknowledging the fact that you have sinned against the Holy God. You confess that and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And the Bible tells us this, that if we believe in the heart that this actually took place from that We will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' blood was shed. His body was broken. Not for show, not for fame, not for popularity, but for our sins. So that he might forgive them and give us salvation through faith in his son Jesus and the finished work that he had on the cross.